scripture reading tonight is from Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum and to Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. The Roman sailing ship slipped quietly down the coast of Turkey and out into the turquoise waters of the Aegean. The sailors on board it paid little attention to the half-naked old man chained to a post, bleeding from the last beating, shivering in a pre-dawn spray. To them, he was just another unfortunate political prisoner, banished to live out his days mining the quarries of Patmos, a Roman penal colony 50 miles out to sea. The old man's name was John. He was the last living apostle and a venerated shepherd of the struggling band of Jesus people called the church. John had reasons to be concerned about the church he had left behind. Christians in general had reason to be concerned. The Roman emperor Domitian had recently proclaimed himself to be a god and commanded all to worship him. The Christians could not do this, and so when they gathered in their homes for secret worship, the conversation often turned to the storm clouds of persecution that were gathering on the horizon. And then there were the rumors. There were always the rumors of famine, of war, of plague, of revolution. And so the Christians remembered the words of Christ, that he would return and that there would be famine and war at the end. And they asked themselves as they gathered, would this be soon? Could this be the end of the age? John himself was paying the cost of following a crucified Savior, 
One New Testament scholar said that as a leader of a hated Christian sect, John's punishment would be preceded by scourging, marked by perpetual fetters, scanty clothing, insufficient food, sleep on the bare ground, a dark prison, and work under the lash of a military overseer. John, who is about 80 at this time, begins his letter to his beloved churches by reminding them of what they signed up for. I'm your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He wants them to know that like them, he also is experiencing tribulation. Like them, he is patiently enduring his trials in the power of Christ. And he seems to be saying at the beginning of this great letter, brothers and sisters, this is what we signed up for. This is what it is like to be a part of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter who is in charge. It doesn't matter whether Rome is in power or someone else. We will always be a people experiencing tribulation in this world. John and the people of his day, the Christians were afraid. In a lot of ways, uh, what John was experiencing is not unlike what many Christians today are feeling. As I talk to a number of you and read a lot on the internet about what different Christians are blogging and talking about and receive emails, I find that there's a great level of anxiety among the people of God these days as the culture changes and the government changes and the economy changes and the values change and, and shift. So what does Jesus say to us as his people when we are afraid? What does he say to us about uh, our future? What does he say to Christians who may find themselves at odds at times with their government. What does he say to people who feel that the world is somehow spinning out of control? Well, he says this. This is exactly the situation that John was facing. And Jesus comes to him in a vision to comfort him in his church and their fear. John says he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The early church changed their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, and uh, the day of the resurrection. And and John evidently was worshiping on the island of Patmos. We don't know a lot about that. Tradition says that there's a cave in which John worshipped. You can still visit it today. Uh, It's it's become a pilgrimage site. But he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And, And I think that's important just to pause and note for a minute, because that's what's supposed to happen When you gather for worship, you are in the Spirit. You become in the Spirit. It's a Greek preposition that just means enveloped by, consumed by, uh, taken away by. That is what is happening when we worship. And, and And I hope that you come in having already done some work to help yourself be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Brothers and sisters, it is not right to hop in your car late and hope Jesse has a good one tonight. That's not fair. You are the worship 
of our church. So come prepared and in the Spirit. And by the way, you can only encounter Christ in the Spirit. You can't do it just with your mind. So come in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I pray tonight that we will be in the Spirit as we read this revelation. John hears a voice like a trumpet behind him. He's supposed to He's going to see something, and he's supposed to share it with these seven churches. And these were seven major churches in a region we'd call Turkey today. And they were on a postal circuit of about 120 miles. And so he wants this letter to go around them. And at the time, from his perspective, they were the center of the Christian world. And so he believes that by writing these seven churches, he is going to send this to the whole Christian church around the world. And he has a vision of Jesus. And he describes this picture of Jesus with a string of Old Testament phrases that would have been very familiar to an early Jewish reader. The first thing he sees is Jesus walking among seven lampstands. And in the last verse of this vision, we learn that the lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so the vision is of Jesus Christ walking among the churches of the empire. And that's important because he wants them to remember that no matter what is going on, no matter what trials they're facing, the Lord Jesus Christ is present and active in the midst of their church life. Well, then, the dressing is one of a temple priest. And one of the priest's main job in the temple was to trim the wicks of the lamps and to clean the oil of the lamps and make sure that the light of the lamps burned cleanly. And so, our Lord is walking amidst His church, even in these days of trial, and trimming the church's wicks, purifying the church's oil, correcting, reproving, encouraging, exhorting the church to have a pure and holy fire. His hair is white. He's like the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One. His eyes burn with holiness. His feet are as pure as refined bronze. His mighty word thunders forth with great power, achieving all it is to accomplish. His face blazes like the sun. This is a vision of the glory and majesty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. This is a vision of the Lord of history. And what Jesus is saying to the Apostle John, and to the churches of the first century, and to every church ever since, who have been in a world in which they are painfully not at home, been in a world in which they are painfully constantly bumping up into things that disturb and torment and terrify them, he is saying, in the midst of these trials, look at me. Look at me. John looks at Jesus, falls on his face like a dead man. He fears the Lord. Now we're not in the the Gospels anymore where we see the humble servant Jesus. Now we're seeing the triumphant 
ascendant cosmic Christ who rules and reigns and lives forevermore. And John collapses out of terror. And as he does, as he fears the Lord greatly, his lesser fears drain away. That's why we must fear the Lord. When we fear the Lord in His awesome holiness, lesser fears drain away. Jesus says, Fear not, after He touches him gently. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. He tells his troubled church, I am the Lord of history. I've died, but I'm alive again. I am active among you. I'm engaged with you. I'm responsive to your prayers. I hold the keys to death in Hades. He has authority over death. He has the power and the right to free us from the prison house of death. And so the last book of the Bible written to a fearful church is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ Actively reigning in and within His church. To a church that is afraid. To a church that is troubled by the culture. To a church that is wondering where things are going. Jesus says, look at me. Then He tells John, Write therefore the things that you've seen. Those that are and those that are to take place after this. Now the rest of the book of Revelation is a vision about what is to take place after this. What kind of vision is this? How does the Lord intend to comfort His church through this vision? Well, some Christians have interpreted Revelation as as a type of map to the end times. Um, Read this way, John is giving the church a coded allegory that will one day help a generation unlock the meaning of current events in preparation for the Lord's return. A good example of this way of reading Revelation was Hal Lindsey's popular book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Um, It was very thrilling reading. I read it shortly after becoming a Christian in high school. Uh, The subtitle on the cover said, A Penetrating Look at Incredible Prophecies Involving This Generation. And a later cover declared that we were definitely living in the era of the Antichrist. And what he tried to do in the book from Revelation and also from Daniel and Ezekiel is show that the founding of Modern Israel in 1948 was a fulfillment of prophecy, and he concluded that one generation later, in the 1980s, the rapture would likely occur. And he said that because of famines and wars and earthquakes, it meant that we were drawing near the end of the world. He believed the Bible predicted the Soviet invasion of Israel was set into motion in time events. And in a follow-up book, he stated the decade of the 80s could very well be the last decade of history as we know it. And the book sold 7 million copies. And Christians have been trying to make visions of Revelation fit current events for almost 2,000 years. Uh, The beast has been identified as the Pope, Oliver Cromwell, Napoleon, Hitler, Gorbachev, and Henry Kissinger. (laughs) And probably others now. 
When the Gulf War began, many of you remember, some Christian preachers uh, told us that it was the fulfillment of Revelation 16, the Battle of Armageddon. In May of 2011, the evangelist Harold Camping predicted the rapture would occur on May 21st based on his reading of Revelation. So Christians from all of history have tried to see in Revelation clues to the end that would somehow show us that Christ was returning. And that is one way to read the book. Uh, I don't believe that's the best way to read it, though. I don't believe that John's book was written to predict particular historical events 200 years in the future of its original author and audience. I think the book of Revelation was written to encourage the church in all times, in all places, that has always been and always will be at war against the powers until the Lord returns. The visions of the Revelation are very difficult to understand, but they have one theme in common, and I believe this is what the book of Revelation is about. The one theme in the book of Revelation, from the first page to the last, is Jesus Christ. It's the supremacy, the matchless supremacy of Jesus Christ. Every page of the book of Revelation says to the troubled church, when you are afraid, Look at me. Look at me. Eugene Peterson wrote a wonderful book on Revelation, and he writes, The Revelation is, in the first place, not information about the bad world we live in. First of all, it is a proclamation by and about Jesus Christ. Leon Morris, in his commentary on Revelation, writes, The Christians were a pitiably small group persecuted by mighty foes. To all outward appearance, their situation was hopeless. But it is only as Christ is seen for what he really is that anything else can be seen for what it really is. So for these persecuted ones, it was important that they first of all see the glory and the majesty of the risen Lord be made clear. I believe this is the real message of the book of Revelation. I believe it's the, the purpose of this vision. That when we are afraid, when we are troubled, when we don't know where the world is going, look at Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And we don't know what happened to John after this vision. Tradition does say that he kept worshiping in this cave high above the Aegean. I can imagine the old apostle handing off a scroll to a fellow Christian and him taking it back to the mainland and reading it to the seven great churches of Turkey. Perhaps John returned to that cave while he was in prison and looked out over the sea back over the mainland where the churches were and interceded for them and also for us. If there is a key to interpreting this letter to the churches, I, I do think it's in that opening line. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Our hope in tribulation is Jesus. 
do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that comforts you when you are anxious? Have you invited the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins, to fill you with his spirit, to lead you and guide you and protect you? And maybe you have, but if you have a high anxiety level about what's going on in the world today, maybe you've gotten away from him. And and I want to end by just asking you to think about two things. Is one of the ways you're dealing with your fear, knowledge? I think we can make an idol of knowledge. I know I do this. That if I'm afraid of something, if I can learn more about it, if I can read more about it, if I can figure out more about the economy or world politics or biblical prophecy, somehow I can control it and be safe. Now, I think it's important to know what the Bible says about prophecy. I think it's important to to know what the Bible says or what the people are saying about the economy. But you know in your heart when you go over the line into idolatry. I know when I do it. I've had to cut down the amount of time I'm listening to news. Because I realized it was coming from my own anxiety about the world. And the other one I just want you to, to think about is, is you wrestle with what's going on in our country, and that creates anxiety and fear. I want you to consider this. Have you made an idol out of America? I've traveled a lot. Every time I get home, I give thanks for living in this great nation. Truly blessed to live here. I could spend all day talking about the incredible blessings of being an American. But America is not the kingdom of God. And sometimes the anxiety I think we feel reveals that we've put our trust uh, in in the, the eagle and not the sun. Let's pray.